business is about being surgical and entrepreneurship in general is about how can you stretch your resources as far as possible. Those are the great entrepreneurs. Great entrepreneurs aren't looking outside constantly. Oh, where can I get more capital? Oh, I don't have this. I don't have that. They'll say, okay, what do I have right now? Right now I have this mic, I have earplugs. Okay. I want to start a business. Let me start a podcast and talk about this. And they'll, they'll try to spend what they have right now. And this comes down to profits quite a bit because I think where people go wrong with profits is that they start spending money and then they run out of their, what they call their run rate really quickly. And then they have nothing to show for it because everything they spend their money on, Shopify sites, Instagram, cameras, mics, it didn't bring them an immediate return. I think that's the biggest mistake you can make. The beginning, your goal is to figure out how can I sell the most amount of product with the least amount of money? And that should be the bane and the first thing that you should think about when you start a business. The Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. 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 Now for this second episode of our series titled From Zero to $100 Million, How to Scale Your Startup Like a Pro featuring Prady Tawari. We discuss what Prady asserts is the lifeblood of any company, and that is the profits. Prady stresses the importance of delegating the funds in the beginning of any business venture into the appropriate mechanisms that will perpetuate the life of any new endeavor. Hence, this is why he characterizes the profits as the lifeblood of the business. Sounds very important, right? It is. He also gives us several strategies and perspectives to consider in order to maximize our profits at the onset of a company and helps us to steer clear of some of the pitfalls that can drain our resources and leave us stuck without ever realizing our true potential. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare yourself to receive the guidance that could take your business to the next level, brought to you by the powerhouse himself, Prady Tawari. Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James and with me as always is my good friend Colt. You know it. And we are here on the line once again today with Prady Tawari, all the way in Boston. How are you doing today, Prady? Dude, I'm doing fantastic. There, there's a backstory to uh, our, our little uh, series recording that we're doing. I know we had a lot of a little bit of a break, and then we tried recording last week. But it's kind of the uh, it's fitting because we talk a lot about the struggles of doing a project, to starting a business, and it's fitting uh, to. Uh, but we're persistent, and we're back here again, uh, re-recording. And uh, yeah, man, it's it's great to be back on. And uh, like I said, man, just. Uh, find a lot of value in giving value to other people and, uh, you know, talking about starting a business, bringing people, the goal being you think about, you want to start a business. You're like, where do I start? What do I read? Where do I go? They can now go on cerebral entertainment podcast, listen to this series and they can get a lot of knowledge and takeaways. So absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's great, man, because we do want to add value to our listeners. And of course we do that by bringing on guests like you and, Brady, to be honest, you're a powerhouse in, in what you're doing, man, because i got to be honest with you, I don't know enough about entrepreneurship to really give a good summary of even what it takes to start your own business. But talking to you, you might actually scare some people away, right, from starting their own business because you're getting real and you're talking about the gritty and, and how how hard it is and right. how much time and effort and blood, sweat and tears like that you have to put into the project in order to actually make things go to get the wheels turning and all these considerations that a lot of people, including myself, would not have even thought of had I not been talking to someone who's, you know, someone like you and kind of just walked through this in your shoes from your perspective to see just how hard it is, how difficult of a task it is to start your own business. So once again, really appreciate you coming on. And I'm glad that our listeners are going to be able to get some insight from your experience. And so uh, as, as we were discussing earlier, we started the series off with mindset. 
the kind of mindset you have to have that you better have if, if you're going to start a business, right? right. And, and that it's going to be necessary for you to succeed and thrive when starting your own business. Today, we're going to take it down a new path, Prady. So why don't you start us off today, man, and tell us about the, the lifeblood, as you call it, of starting your own business and, and where, we're, where we're taking this thing here today. 100%, man. Talking about the mindset was one thing, and just a quick recap, we talked about massive responsibility from being an employee to employer. As an, as an employee, you think about, you, you, you are kind of the center focus as an employer, as a starting a business, you are not the center anymore, and it's more about how you serve others, your um, employees, and how to scale from there. So that's the mindset, Res- massive responsibility. One word from the first episode is responsibility. Today, I want to talk about the lifeblood. And the lifeblood is um, profits, uh, profit maximization and making money. Um, I know it's not a very sexy topic because nowadays, if you're not making profits, then you're starting a project, then you're doing an extracurricular, then you're doing a charity or you're doing, and those things are all awesome, but that's not what business is about. Business fundamentally is about growth. Um, It's about servicing a need. And also the growth happens through profit maximization. And a lot of people are confused. Well, what, what, what does that mean? How do I price things or... Um, why, you know, what's, how do we even think about profits and why are we talking about this at the outset? Uh, and like I kind of framed, it is the lifeblood. It's what is going to keep you going in the beginning. Entrepreneurship in general is about taking limited resources and stretching them out as far as possible. You're going to start off with your business. You have a limited amount of capital. Say you have 5,000, 6,000, 2,000. I started with $5,000, how I started as a 2.0 product in the company. And my goal is now, okay, so I want to bring this product in every corner of the world. And I only have $5,000 to do so, which won't buy me shit. So as an entrepreneur, I have to think about, okay, how do I stretch this 5,000 as far as possible? Where a lot of entrepreneurs I've seen go wrong is that they try a little bit of everything. This is incorrect. The way that you need to do it and the way I, I, I would suggest people do it when I consult their people is to find out the right customer. That's the most important thing. And the right customer is going to be the, the customer that requires the least amount of touch points, okay, and where you can spend a dollar and get the most amount of profit back. What the hell does that even mean? So when you're advertising or when you're marketing or when you're spending money, your goal in the beginning is only, I will only do things that bring me an immediate return. If they don't bring an immediate return, do not do them. That is the simple holy mantra that I want to start with. For any framework that people want to start a business, I see this all the time. They're like, oh, I should start a blog. I should start a podcast. I should get this equipment. I should, I should, I should advertise here. I should do that. And what happens is they have the $5,000 and it gets spread everywhere. And then they don't get an immediate return. Different marketing strategies will yield different results. And some marketing strategies take years or months to materialize, but by that time, your business doesn't exist anymore. So I want people to think about their business as a baby, as a child, and your goal is to protect it because a baby is very fragile when it's born. So you can't just like throw it around, move it around everywhere. Like you have to be very careful what it's eating, how it's subsisting. And people need to learn to treat their business like that as well. And they do not. They're very reckless with it. You have to think about your business is extremely fragile the minute you start it. And the reason why it's fragile, because you have limited amount of resources. So your goal, again, every single day you wake up is how do I stretch my capital as far as possible? I give an example for our own business. Um, when I started my business, Azith, and that's what a lot of people know that I do, we didn't have a podcast. We didn't have a nice website. We barely ever posted on Instagram because it was just me. Like I didn't have, I didn't have any, it was just me alone. So I didn't have time to post, make posts every day on Instagram um, all the things people see right now that we're doing on our, they, like we didn't have any of that stuff. Our website I built on Wix. 
Um, it took me like a few hours to figure it out myself. I couldn't hire a designer. I didn't have, I didn't have, I didn't want to, I didn't have the capital from the business to put in there. But what I knew is that I, I was thinking, okay, where, where can I spend my money so I get the biggest amount of return? And I, at that time, I had a relationship with two guys that you guys know really well, Vijay and Scott. And Vijay and Scott had a relationship with them, and they had just started podcasting. And I was like, I, I DM'd Vijay, and I was like, dude, um, I have a product. Would you be willing to test it out and see if you like it? Back and forth. Um, and long story short, they liked the product, and they started talking about the product. And all my attention for the first few months was just to advertise on their show. I did do nothing else. I had no Instagram. I barely had was an Instagram. I did no podcasts. I did no blogs. I did nothing. So all the money we had that we're putting in was for get quality advertisement and to basically pay for the sponsorship for the podcast. That's it. That podcast was one of the biggest drivers for success that as it is here today. And that's because that podcast brought us in so many so much sales in the beginning that that allowed us to reinvest that down the line. The big takeaway here is that a lot of business owners, what they'll do is they'll do this. Hey, I want to start a business. What are you doing? Okay, I got to get a nice website. I got to get business cards. I got to get logo. And they spend all their capital and all this stuff. And the problem is your logo is not going to sell you more product. Like it isn't, you know? So here, and we're going to go into more specifics, but the general overview I'm going to talk about is that business is about being surgical and entrepreneurship in general is about how can you stretch your resources as far as possible. Those are the great entrepreneurs. Great entrepreneurs aren't looking outside constantly. Oh, where can I get more capital? I don't have this. I don't have that. They'll say, okay, what do I have right now? Right now I have this mic. I have earplugs. Okay, I want to start a business. Let me start a podcast and talk about this. And they'll, they'll try to spend what they have right now. And this comes down to profits quite a bit because I think where people go wrong with profits is that they start spending money and then they run out of their, what they call their run rate really quickly. And then they have nothing to show for because everything they spend their money on, Shopify sites, Instagram, cameras, mics, it didn't bring them an immediate return. I think that's the biggest mistake you can make. The beginning, your goal is to figure out how can I sell the most amount of product with the least amount of money? And that should be the bane and the, the first thing that you should think about when you start a business. Very interesting. So let's unpack a couple of these things here, Prady, because uh, we're talking about some things that not everybody may not know. Uh, so your company, Azoth, is a nootropics yep. company, correct? And explain to us yep. what that what that is really quickly. Yeah. So nootropic is a, uh, a dietary supplement, which mm-hmm. is um, formulated for cognitive enhancement, but also for to increase peak productivity, and it's a caffeine-free um, productivity enhancer is the way I call it. Excellent. And then you mentioned VJ and Scott, which is uh, VJ uh, Puri and Scott McNally, and uh, they are over there on Bodybuilding Nerds Radio, good friends yep. of ours, good friends of yep. yours. And so you uh, sponsoring that podcast was how you really got a, a running start with Azoth, and that's very interesting. Um, Bodybuilding Nerds Radio, of course, is a bodybuilding podcast, and those guys are awesome over there. They're great. They're funny. They have a great show. And I actually remember the Azoth commercials. They were actually kind of humorous a little bit because <laughs> uh, they put a little bit of a humorous spin on it, and it stuck with me, that 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 name, Azoth. They did a great yeah. job of advertising that, so that was a good it was a good spot for you to be in there on their podcast. So profits yeah. though, it's very interesting that we're going into profits. And like you said, it's not, you would think, I would think that profits is, it's gotta be one of your main considerations. I, I would, you know, when you're starting a business and I know, as you mentioned, you're talking about a lot of pro-social perspective and behavior. You know, you want to help others. You want to be a leader in the field. You want to change the world, this and that. But it's got to come down to profits or else you're not going to be able to put anything back into the business in order to grow, correct? 
that's everything. You yeah. you got to learn how to how to think backwards too, right? So, what what are you trying to build? I mean, if you want to try to build a big business, I mean, in the beginning, and and this, people need to wrap their heads around this, like because I think I, I hear this a lot. Being in Boston, a startup, it's like a big startup hub in the country on the world, and everyone's like, okay, I need to start a business. Where can I raise money? And for me, I don't like those type of entrepreneurs because like you're not an entrepreneur. You just know how to raise money. Like it's not entrepreneurship. Right. So figuring out like there are companies that we all know that really have started from basements and. And random places and really like look at Amazon, all these like they've really scaled. And so one of the ways that they're able to do it, they're able to identify, okay, I have a product, I'm serving a need. Okay, I have a limited amount of budget. Where can I stretch this money as far as possible? And only focus on that. Every thing, single thing that doesn't bring you profitability as soon as possible, do not do it. Like mm. it's just not the right. It doesn't mean you should never do it. Don't do it right now. So people look at Azath. Um, you can look at our Instagram at Seeking Azath. We post twice a day. We have lives. We do tons of shit right now. But I never did any of that stuff before because it wasn't make that stuff. It takes a long time for us to get sales from Instagram. Like it's not like we post and then we get sales. We don't get shit. And then after maybe five, six months, people will be like, oh, I saw your Instagram, blah, blah. That's not the right approach for a startup. Startup people, young entrepreneurs, they go online, they read what like the big companies are doing and they focus on that. And it's like, dude, it, it, I've never, I've never seen a business that has failed because their website didn't have a good font. Like, it's just not true. Like you're, they will try to convince you, oh, get a better website, get better. I understand that you need to have some sort of basic stuff there, but don't worry about it. Like if you're, if you were spending all your time as a beginning entrepreneur, just, just start your business on printing out good business cards getting a nice logo, getting the best website in the world with all the kings and bells and whistles, then, you know, like, what are you doing? Are you just killing time or are you really, are you, and I think a lot of people hide behind it. I have a buddy who just started this and he's, he started this company and dude, all he does all the time, he perfects his website more and more, but he doesn't make any sales. And like, I told him, I was like, dude, you got to watch out. You have a fragile baby. You're going to, it's going to die. Literally like this two weeks ago, he called me and said, dude, I, I can't afford like even the Shopify, which is a website where you store your where you host your website, mm -hmm. you can't afford those fees anymore because it's like 200 bucks a month. And he chose the most expensive plan with every kinks and whistle and chat bot and everything on there. Why? It doesn't bring you immediate profitability. So the focus should be, I start a business, I have a product, cool. Now I think, okay, well, I need to make profits. That should be your only goal. The minute you wake up until you sleep, only think about profits and how you can get there as soon as possible. That's very interesting, Brady, because to be honest with you, once again, I would have thought that a person really starts out, like with a lot of things, by flooding Instagram or, or flooding whatever social media site with just you know post after post, ad after ad to get things going. And But you, it sounds like what you're telling me is not the way to start because you're spending too much time in something that's not actually turning over a profit. And so things could someone do? What are these things that are going to be profitable in the beginning of the business specifically that a person can do instead of flooding Instagram with with posts in order to try to, to gain momentum? Yeah, man. And we have a, I have a term, I call this the gap uh, for the customer journey, which means, and I, or I call this the, the, the touch point gap, which means on average, it takes about five to six touch points for people to actually close before they've seen it off enough. And so that means that I see a post on Instagram, then I don't do anything. Then I go on Facebook and I don't do anything. Then I get a newsletter and I don't do anything. And after the five, fifth or sixth time, I'm like, oh, let me buy. That is how it works for traditional companies. As a startup, you don't have the money to wait from like, if you make your first post on Monday and it takes you three and a half months before you get the sale, you don't have the cash flow to keep you that long. So your goal as great entrepreneurs are able to identify, okay, what can I do that would require the least amount of touch points that would get me to close a sale? Like what is that marketing channel? 
I see this all the time with businesses. People are selling their business. Oh, if, if it was just marketed right, it would be a big business. Like it's not that easy. Um, the reason why they're not doing it themselves or selling their business is because we recognize that every dollar I spend on marketing, I'm not going to get a dollar back. Like I'm just not. So you have to identify what those things are that are going to give you immediate profitability when you close that gap. Instead of five touch points, it's two touch points. I recognize that um, that it was going to be podcast advertising. And there, there's a couple of things why. Um, I looked at my business and there's a couple of costs that are in your business with marketing. One of them is what I call the education cost. So if I have a product like a nootropic, people don't even know what the hell that is. You ask me, hey man, explain what the hell is a nootropic. Right. This is a big problem for me because like now if I want to sell to like soccer moms or like working parents or professionals, I have to explain to them first what a nootropic is and then I can sell them. So you know how expensive that is for me to get that customer? It doesn't make any sense. And I was like, dude, I can't sell to working moms. I can do an ad on Facebook. No one's going to, it's going to take too long for them to wrap their heads around it. But I was like, there's one audience that takes anything, puts swallows, any caps and pills and injects themselves with pretty much anything. (laughs) And that's the bodybuilding audience. I was like, oh, I'm a bodybuilder. I know. Cause like, dude, if someone says, dude, try that. I don't know, this, this formula, this pre-workout, I'm like, yeah, I just, and I will just, I will drink it. I mean, that's, I, I've tried everything and I don't know what the hell it is even half the time, even as educated as I think I am, you know, someone gives me a pre-workout, I'll try it. Um, and I was like, that's great because, and that's why I focus on the bodybuilding audience. Is the bodybuilding audience my biggest audience what I eventually want to target to? No, but I knew that for me to tell them to take a nootropic is going to be easier than for me to tell a working, you know, mom or something. So I focused on the audience that was going to be more likely to buy as soon as possible from fewer touch points. So it's not going to take me six touch points for a bodybuilder. It's going to take me maybe two. And then I recognize that I can't be the one talking about the product. I need to find someone in the industry who's trusted where, the, where we're close. And I had a relationship with uh, Scott and Beach beforehand. I got Scott and Beach involved in the process of building Azith. So all the t- trials they have, I was on Advices Radio two, three weeks ago, and Scott ha- still had the old packages of Azith because I had sent it to him. <laughs> and I had involved them, so they felt they were part of the process. And when Azith came out, they started talking to people about Azith. And then all of a sudden, I woke up the next morning and orders started ringing through. So the answer is, not everyone knows of Scott or Beach, but you need to find out what's your product, what are the weaknesses, and how long would it take on average for you to close a deal, and how can you shorten that, and what kind of marketing medium would allow you to to shorten that gap for me. If I just started posting on Instagram, you don't get shit from Instagram. I'll I'll tell people too, influencers, Instagram posts, these are great, but dude, it takes so long to convert like a customer from an Instagram post. It's just not, it's it's just not going to happen. Like if you're a startup, you're you're spending, you're wasting your time editing photos for Instagram. It's just not going to convert. I can just tell from knowing, having seen like financials from at least 35 supplement companies. It just doesn't work, man. Hmm. Well, that podcast advertisement is kind of genius too, because you know, you have like with bodybuilding nerds or advices, you know, they have a dedicated audience that's there week in and week out. So it's like those touch points kind of get smaller because you know, these people are going to hear this every single week and they're going to be advertising it exactly the way you want them to. Yeah, 100%. I, I would yeah. say another another addition to that is also those guys over there at Advices and Bodybuilding Nerds, uh, I, and I've mentioned this to them several times, I trust them, and I've trusted them for a long time. And just because I feel like they're so genuine, and I feel like they, that their audience at large is probably as dedicated or as, you know, they, they feel as close to them as what I do. And so when they do support a product or a company, I'm going to be more likely to believe Scott and Beach and all the guys over there because we have that. Uh, I feel like I know them, you know, right. and that's because they are so genuine. So that's got to be an important cog 100%. as well. 
Yeah, and that's what I said. You got to find the weaknesses in your business. When I start a supplement company, what's the biggest problem people have? They don't trust it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they need they ask their bros about like is this right? People go on reviews. Reviews are huge in the supplement space. And I was like, okay, that's my problem. And the third, I was selling a nootropic. No one had heard about it in like 2000 when I started selling this. Yeah. So that was the easiest thing to do. I was like, okay, I know these guys. People trust. They're kind of the bros from the gym that people ask, and they will. And I think the nootropic thing can be overcome because I'm selling to a bodybuilding audience, and I was dead right. And uh, yeah, it, I mean, the amount of that we'd spent, we had made triple, quadruple back. Like every month, we're making it back from from just doing that. And then I waited a whole long time before I even hired my first employee, uh, employee before I even hired a first person to ever take a picture on Instagram, a photographer. I didn't hire that until December of 2018, which was a few months ago. So it took a long, long time before I made the decision. So every decision was like, okay, is it immediate profit? And I'll do it. And as your business grows, the touch points can increase. Like now we spend a lot on Instagram. We do ads. Because we are where we can wait for those touch points. It's okay if it takes six, six touch points because we have we're more profitable. But that's the number one thing about this. It goes back to mindset about profitability. All the stuff you want to do, save the world, do it, but wait. Like don't do it in the beginning because you're gonna run out of. I, and it sounds crazy because like you're like, dude, that makes so much sense. But you'd be surprised how many businesses they just do everything and then they run out of money and then they have to close shop or they have to raise more, which is now a, a big thing. Just keep raising on more money. But you need to think about. The profitability is everything. And how do you know and think about profitability? You think of what is the cost to acquire a customer and how can you reduce that as much as possible? Which mediums can you use to reduce the cost of customer acquisition? And um, and, that, and then the, that the topic then becomes is who is your customer, which ties into profitability. It's not who you want the customer to be. It's mm. where, <laughs> what customer is going to give you the most for a dollar and for a dollar of spending. And so I might say, dude, I'm an entrepreneur. I want to give give assets to all entrepreneurs, but that's, it's not what I want because targeting entrepreneurs is too expensive because they don't use supplement necessarily. They're not going to convince them what's a supplement, how to use it, all that stuff with, but I actually target bodybuilders because they're not going to ask me those questions. I actually knew this because I had another supplement company and I remember the first question we were getting was a powdered pre-workout and I was trying to sell it to college students and just regular everyday people. And they would ask me questions like, um, it was powder. They're like, what do I do with it? I was like, you put it in water. They're like, do I stir it? <laughs> and I was like, yes. And, and because I'm a bodybuilder, I'm like, dude, what, what are you talking about? Right. Of course you stir it. Like, it's powder. And I recognize that everyday people have no idea about supplements. They don't even know what the hell it is. So it was such a hurdle for me to convince them to buy a pre-workout because first I had to convince them that it's safe, that you need to actually stir it. Like, dude, I, I don't have time. I, I don't have as much money to spend on that. So just go straight for the bodybuilding audience, the early adopters, the niche. And the goal was then that those people would tell their friends and family about the product. Mm-hmm. So right. that's what we did. So everyone who came through Bodybuilding Nerds, what I did then is I rolled out a huge referral program through the people from Bodybuilding Nerds. So we did a lot of post-customer. Um, I kept in touch with all the customers. So a lot of companies, they will, like, when you're trying to buy something, they're super nice to you. Oh, come into our store. What do you want for a drink? And then when you leave, they don't give a shit about you anymore. I did the opposite approach. So the first 500 customers, after they were done buying, we just kept, I kept in touch with them. I DM'd them. I talked to them. And I gave them an opportunity to tell their friends and family about Asith. And their friends and family were the entrepreneur, the working mom, the working dad. So my focus was I would spend money to acquire the bodybuilders because they were easy target. And then they would then for free tell their entrepreneur, aunt, or their friend, family, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to pay for that because I had already acquired that person for really cheap. So that was kind of my strategy. And it ended up working out great. Um, obviously, it's still an ongoing process, but we're at a point now where 
we're super profitable. We expand it. We have office space. We have employees. And I, I, I did that from that strategy. Wow. Once again, I, I know, Prady, you've told us before that you are not a consultant of any kind, right? You don't make any money consulting on entrepreneurship or how no. to start a business. But I got to tell you, the information that you're bringing today you could charge for that because that that's some high quality, high powered information that once again, a lot of people don't think of the, the, the way that you targeted your audience to, to, to begin your, your customer base. That is huge. Without that, without that calculated targeting of that customer base, you probably wouldn't be where you are today. Right. I mean, I think that's, that's how you got to where you are because you were, you were very precise and very calculated about how you started as off and how you were going to get the, this momentum going. Um, that's where a lot of people probably, and myself included, if I were to start a business and I, and if I didn't do that, I'm probably just trying to market everywhere. Right. I just want to get the word out and, and just to whomever might listen to, uh, my commercial, my ad, might maybe want to see my product, maybe not. But had I had you not been so precise and so calculated, obviously you'd have been spinning your wheels. Um, so that makes complete sense with that particular product. But how can somebody who, let's say, they sell clocks or they sell shoes or you know they want to start a business selling clocks and shoes, right? Um, <laughs> is there a system, a general system about how to consider your target? Uh, audience, your your customer base to start out with in a generalized sense, so that people can kind of put that into their their own matrix of their their business they're starting. How can someone kind of take those steps based on the product they're selling? Yeah, and I, and I think it all this, this knowledge is totally transferable because this is just an, it's just another supplement in many ways. So a clock, and they're all falling the same. But I think that um, you need to really understand your product and who really needs your product. I mean, there's going to be different types of people in the world. There's going to be people we call early adopters, like they're going to love your product immediately. They'll jump on it. There's going to be people who are like kind of in the middle, and then there's people who are called laggards. There are people who will use something at the last. So I'll give an example. When Uber came out, like my sister's really into like new technology, so she would use it. She told me about Uber. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not getting in some random person's car. I'm never going to use it. And so it was like, it took me two, three years to get into the first Uber ride. So the problem that Uber would have is Uber targeted me, a lag, what I call the laggard, someone who doesn't adopt technology really easy. Mm. They would have spent money after money after money to get my attention. And maybe after three years, they would have run out of all that cash and got my attention. But they should target my sister because my sister read all the tech journals and was super into that audience. And so targeting her was easier. So what I'm trying to say here is, Whatever you're selling, whether it's clock, whether it's a gadget, whether it's an app, really try to find out who really wants and needs your shit, like who really wants it. And and even if that audience size is like 5,000 people, it doesn't matter. Like just focus on the niche. Like they say, you know, the riches is in the niches. And that's absolutely right because mm -hmm. those people in the niche, if it's a good product, will tell people outside the niche. And you're not paying for that. You're only paying for the niche people and they're cheap to, to acquire. So I think whatever is it you're selling, whether it's headphones or if you're selling mics, like you're like, oh, who really needs? Oh, podcasters need this, and find a loyal podcasting audience that just needs it. Don't try to sell podcast, you know, mics to corporations that, yeah, you need a mic too for business presentations. Like it's going to be too tough. So really find out your early adopter and and leave all your biases out of it. Like it doesn't matter what, who you want to sell it to. It matters what is going to bring you the most amount of profitability. You can honestly say on paper, if I spend a dollar to acquire that customer, I'm gonna get at least you know fifty cents back uh immediately because most mm -hmm. of the times you send a dollar and you don't even get a send back and that's where you're, you're looking at man like look at like um uh groupon and tesla and you're like dude why are these guys not making any profit what's going on like they're huge companies they don't tesla makes no profit and it's because they have such a high 
burn rate. They just burn cash. And that might work for huge corporations. But for people starting out, dude, you have five, six, seven thousand dollars. It's going to be out like that. So you can't use that model because what, what happens if like Uber is out of money, you know what they do? They just raise more. And then they get more and they get more and they raise eight, nine hundred million dollars in every round. So they can do that. But for small businesses like that are starting, like when I started, dude, I was just (laughs) shooting this in my dorm. I don't have access to eight hundred million bucks. Right. So I have to then find out how to do that. And you need to target your early adopter. So whatever is it you're selling and everyone kind of deep down knows, man, whatever product or gadget you're selling, there is someone that really needs it. Just focus on that audience. Doesn't matter if you like that audience or not. You got to take that out of it. So in the beginning, uh, relying so much on that word of mouth, did you have any nerves about relying on that or did it not bother you too much because you knew that it wasn't going to be an expense for you to rely on something like that? Yeah, it wasn't. So what I did in the beginning, which was crucial, um, which was I ordered the minimum amount of inventory for my product. And I spent minimum amount on, on, on that advertising uh, because I had a relationship and it, it wasn't like super expensive. And mind you, I had um, a relationship and I was sponsoring BNR since 2015, 16. So this is like for like the second or third show when Beach was just starting out, I was with their show. So it wasn't like like now obviously they have a ton of sponsors and it's a little bit bigger. Um, but so it wasn't massively expensive. So it wasn't going to be the end of the world. Here's another thing I want to quickly talk about while we're talking about profits. This has to do with pricing. This is part of this episode as well that I want to talk about. What do you price your product at? Because that is what what profits are also about. And here's something that I want to quickly say about that is I see a lot of companies, they price their product based on their competitors. And you're a new company. You're like, okay. And I'll I'll use um, supplements as an example. So say, for instance, I, I want to have a new protein formula. And I'm like, okay, I go on Amazon. You know, Optimum Nutrition, which happens to be part of a big corporation, huge company, and they're they're charging 40 bucks for their protein. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to charge 35 bucks for protein. When someone says that, they're done. They're going to go bankrupt. And they're like, well, what, why, man? I'm cheaper than Optimum. I was like, dude, you're cheaper than Optimum because you have zero employees and you're doing it from your mom's basement. That's why you're 35 bucks. Right. Are you, you're, they're selling at 40 bucks, just five bucks or the same price as you with 5,000 employees, 50,000 square feet of manufacturing space and all those overhead. And they are still profitable at 40 bucks. And you're just one employee and you're profitable at also 40 bucks. Like where are you going to go from there? So um, I hope this makes sense because you have no expenses. So you need to make your pricing at where you want to get to, but also where you are today. So I'll give people an example. When I started Azith, um, we had 10, 10 capsules and I sold it for $80 to $90. 10, that's it, 10 servings. People, I went on Anabolic Minds and people lost their minds. They're like, you're, you're nuts. Like, who's going to buy it? But guess what? 890 people bought it. Okay? Wow. At, yeah. So, and other, other people fucking hate, I got a hate mail for it. But what happened is when I had that extra profit, I could then reinvest it and order a bit more quantity of inventory and at, Eventually, I've dropped my price to 40, 50 bucks. Now it's at 44.95. What a lot of companies go wrong is they start low and then they're like, shit, but I need to hire people. Well, you can't now because you can go higher in your price. You can only go lower. Once people are used to your product, you can go higher in your price. Not possible, but you can go lower. So um, hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. But I think that you should price your product at where you are today and what your needs are because your expenses will only go up as you grow. Mm. But if you, if you're already tapped out, then where are you going to go? Like you you don't have any place to go. So one of the biggest mistakes, and this is a huge, I think it's a myth when people say, I'm like, how did you price your product? Oh, I looked at other products and I kind of just priced it in the middle. I was like, dude, you're going to get, you're going to get screwed. 
because that company is a huge company with all these people. They're making payroll and rent and all this stuff they're paying for. And they are they are charging the same as you. How are you going to ever you're not going to be able to compete with them? Because, you know, if I had charged 50 bucks for my formula in the beginning, guess what? If I had a thousand bottles, I would make 50 grand. And then I go to my manufacturer. I'm like, I want to order more product. And they're like, well, the only time you can order more product is if you uh, you can get a cheaper amount of product that uh, you get it for cheaper is if you order more. But I didn't have more because I only made 50K. So then I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Then I order the same amount again. Then I sell the same amount. I order the same amount again. And then I stay a small business for the rest of my life. This happens to more companies in America than you could imagine hmm. because they stay small because they can't grow. They don't have like, where, where are they going to get more money from? They can't charge more. So they're, they're screwed. Yeah. They didn't give themselves any room to grow, right? Because no. I, I, what you're alluding to, I feel like, is that you uh, you have to uh, forecast, you have to project your growth and price accordingly. Is, is that Does that sound right? You're projecting the growth yes. of your company from start? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. My goal was like, okay, my goal with Azith was to have a minimum of 10 employees and to sell in four continents. Okay. So if every employee I'm paying them, let's, I don't know, let's give I just use a fictional number. I'm paying them 50 grand. Okay. And then I have times four. I need 200 grand, just minimum in the bank to pay all the employees. And I need an office space that's going to cost me X amount. So I need to make at least 500,000, but I only have 6K right now in my bank. How am I make it 500? Like, so I need to charge $150 per product to get 500K. And that's mm. what I did. Wow. That's exactly what I did. So mm. then I charged a shitload and a lot of people were against it, but a lot of people did buy it. Like we got right under a thousand sales for that product at like 90. So that allowed me then to hire more people and get where I'm at. And I see this a lot with, and I use supplements a lot because that's my space, but it could be anything, man. It could be watches, it could be earphones, earplugs. I understand that there are certain pricing that your customer will only pay for certain things, mm. but it's better to be a premium product and to price the highest than to be a low-end product. The only company that I know that has ever survived on being this being cheap is Walmart. Everyone else hasn't been able to survive. Like you're going to get screwed because <laughs> you can't compete with pricing right. against Walmart. They'll take your product and just they'll they'll make it for like eight dollars cheaper. You know, so sure. so that's not a right. So I, I always believe in charging as much as you can get away with um, in the beginning. This will allow you to grow. This will allow you to scale. This will allow you to order more product. Um, this is another thing, um, just quickly, a lot of people are selling products, like they're selling phone cases, mics, supplements. You need to order products. You need to have cash flow to order products. You get price breaks from your manufacturer based on how much product you, you order. So mm, if right. I buy a pre-workout, if I buy 1,000 bottles, they'll sell it to me for 5 bucks. If I buy 10,000 bottles, I'll get it for 3 bucks. But the price break that I get from 5 to 3 is if I go from 1,000 bottles to 10,000 bottles. So if I have 1,000 bottles at 5 bucks, that's, you know... Uh, five grand. If I have if I have uh, ten thousand bottles at three bucks, that's thirty grand. So where where am I going to get that thirty grand from? Like if I charge if I I need to charge so much that in my next order I can I have thirty thousand dollars in the bank. So in order to do that, you need to charge a lot upfront so that you can make the next price jump. Because I was afraid. I was doing calculations. I was like, dude, I can never. The first bottle of Azad that we created, dude, I was, I was spending ridiculous amounts. Like it was like almost like it was like in the double digits what we we're paying for. I think it was like 29, 30 bucks for a, for a bottle. And I was like, dude, that's not sustainable. And then I asked my manufacturer, okay, well, how can we go lower? He's like, well, you need to order like at least 10,000 units. I was like, dude, what the fuck? Like I can't order 10,000 <laughs> units. Where, where am I going to get that money from? And I was like, actually, I can get that money. So instead of charging 30, I need, just need to charge over 100 bucks per product. And then if I sell, you know, a thousand of them, then I have a hundred grand in the bank. And then I can go. And then I went back to my manufacturer and then I, Nah, I got cheaper product. So long story short, know where you want to go and always understand 
that the stuff that you're gloating about, make sure it's it's on good foundation. So a lot of people will say, Pretty, I have my profit margin is 40%. And I was like, how many employees you got? Uh, one. I was like, that's why. You don't have 40% profit margin. It's fake. It's 40% because you're alone. You are not paying yourself anything right now. You're not paying rent. You're doing it from your house. You have no employees. You have no office space. You have nothing. So of course it's 40%. Mm. Try doing 40% when you have employees, when you're selling worldwide, when you have distribution and manufacturing, when you're making payroll, that is real. Otherwise it's fake. So um, I, I'm a big proponent of that as well. So this ties a little bit in profitability. Of course, we, we can talk about this a little bit more, but I definitely want to, I'm a big proponent of charging premium. I, I don't believe in the, the cheap. I, I, I don't think you can compete for long. You know. yeah. I guess you have to believe in the fact that you're not you're advertising to the masses, but you're not expecting that the masses are going to buy this product. You're you're kind of nailing in on a, a certain sect pe of people, like you said, 890 is what you sold when yep. you know not 10,000. No, no, I, and I'm not worried about that too because right. that, and that's why I was like, I'm gonna go to a niche audience, a bodybuilding audience. I went on Adblock Minds and mostly on with Beach and Scott and. And that was, I was like, well, it's, if it's going to be expensive, I need trust. People need to trust that it's a good product. And that's what I did. And that's why right. I laid their fears by having Beej and Scott talk about it. And I had a couple of other uh, key influencers and influencers. I don't mean Instagram chicks. I mean, people who are like <laughs> coaches in bodybuilding and stuff right. like that. Hmm. Um, nothing against them. But, you know, when I talk about real knowledge and those are the people that helped us propel. And I, I'm not, I'm not concerned about, oh, I, you know, this is the thing about life too. Like everyone thinks you need to take massive action all the time. Like you need to be the next Tony Robbins or you need to make the next billion dollars. It doesn't matter. Like life you get ahead by doing small things every day consistently right it can be something small i just need to sell 50 bottles or 10 bottles or 20 bottles that's it i'm not worried about selling 10,000. now we are but before that was not the case i just want to sell a few hundred and that's it um and so just small things are actually gonna you can change like the world by doing small things every day right. uh, you don't have to do like massive massive shit all the time but those are the, the really two things hopefully that provides some value but that's definitely i've, I've seen it so many times i actually talked to a lot of uh, people in supplement industry now um we're starting off and they, they they're constantly making their pricing based on other products and and this this applies to any other industry and, and i don't understand why they do that it just it doesn't make any sense to me man so hmm. And once again, I had a preconceived notion when you began talking on the subject of pricing that you would base it off of the market, right? And you once again shot that down, showing my lack of entrepreneurial <laughs> uh, knowledge. Uh, but what you're saying makes complete sense. But I, I wonder, Prady, is it – I have a sense, and you're kind of alluding to this when you're talking about pricing. From the consumer's perspective – I tend to think with certain products like technology for one, supplements for another, a lot of times you get what you pay for. So if something is too cheap, unless it's a it's a huge product and I know they're putting out massive volume, right? So the, I mean, it's kind of like what Walmart does. Walmart can price things so low because they get their goods cheap for one thing, but right. they also have massive, massive volume. They sell massive volume. Um, is, is, it, is it correct for me to think that you get what you pay for? Um, so in, in other words, if something is too cheap, it's probably a cheap product. Yeah, I, I think for sure. I think businesses are intrinsically motivated. They want to make as much money as possible. So if they're yeah. charging something cheaper, then it's either they're doing volume or it is just cheaper quality stuff. And that's just, that's honestly, man, that's just a fact. And, and it's also, it's also psychologically, man. Cause I remember when we dropped our pricing from like 80 to 90, I kept dropping it every few months and then it, it reached like 50. Um, people, we started getting a lot of messages where people asked us about whether we're made in China. And I was like, I've never got these questions when it was a hundred, no one asked me. Right. And then all of a sudden it was like 50. And I was like, dude, no, it's the same product. I just, I'm able to order more for my manufacturer. So at right. a cheaper price, so it's the same. 
And we started getting a lot of questions about uh, your certificate of analysis, um, your uh, what's what's your batch report, and all that stuff. And we, we publish all that on our site. We're one of the few companies that do that. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was like really funny because I was smiling. I was like, dude, it's the same product, um, but because it's cheaper, people associate immediately that it's an inferior quality product. So it's not always the case, but it's it, of course, man. There, there are certain uh, pricing that's just you can't change, like raw materials, for instance, like a supplement that's coming in. The raw material is just going to be whatever. You know, when there's tariffs or whatever, like it's just, it's just, you can't, you don't have control over it. So sure. I've seen some supplements that are so cheap and I know it's bunk because I know that the raw materials of what they cost and there's no way they can get them for that cheap. Yeah. So then they're bunk. So I, I do agree that you should be a little bit wary when you see cheaper products, especially stuff that you put in your body. I, I think it's a different standard almost, you know. So. Yeah. So, so you said in the beginning, you can start, you can't start out with a low price and then raise your price as you go, but you can start out higher. And then as you can yeah. afford it, you can lower your price. What happens if you start lowering your price down and then all of a sudden you start looking at numbers and you need to raise that price back up for any reason? Can you do that or you have to stay away yeah. from that? You can do it if you don't have a big customer base. But if you have gotcha. a big enough customer base, they'll be like, what, what, why? What did right. you do? Did you do something better about it? They'll, they'll almost, they'll feel that you're robbing them because it's the same product. Like if all of a sudden, like the same very product that you've been buying all of a sudden raises their price by like 50 bucks. You're like, what the hell? So right. what you need to do if, you, if you're in that situation, reformulate, call it something else and add some better ingredients in there or something and do that or, or whatever. It's like a wallet or something like get, make it upgraded in some way. But I honestly think it's a very tough sell uh, for customers to all of a sudden raise the price. It's a little strange. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to McDonald's and all of a sudden it's like, you know, fries are like $25. I'm like, what the fuck? Like it's the same <laughs> fry. Like, is it like, what is special about these fries? You know? So right. Uh, you don't want people asking those questions. So it's very difficult. I think that when you're starting off, just charge way more. And then you can always lower because people will like you for it, too. They're like, oh, awesome. I get a deal. I'm happy. And psychologically, it makes more sense. But it's just very difficult to raise your price. Once it's been in the market for too long, you can raise it by like four or five bucks. But like going up higher, it's just it's just going to be brutal. So I, 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 I don't know many companies that have done that well, actually, any that I can think of. Yeah, I, I'm. Thinking of an example, and maybe you can walk us through this, Netflix. Okay, so Netflix drives me absolutely insane because when I first started uh, purchasing Netflix, it was like $8. Now it's double that yep. per month. So they've, yep. they've progressively raised their rate over time because I feel like yep. they've got their their hooks in me and other people who, you know, that we like that that on-demand streaming of whatever it is that you want to watch. Uh, and so it, it's a great model, but they are increasing their prices over time. How does, how does that work for a company like Netflix? Yeah, I think that's a great example. Uh, so I, I, I think there's two things. Number one, like Netflix just add, just adds more content, dude. Like, yeah, and true. they do have more stuff and it has gotten better. Like they have, like you pay more now, you get better streaming quality. Their library is much bigger. I mean, they have original Netflix movies. Like I know when Netflix came out, like 2000 and, 12, 11 or whatever before when I started using it, especially like it wasn't this expensive. So they're able to raise, raise their price because they've become a bigger company, but also because they produce more quality stuff. I mean, yeah. it's just a fact. Another thing too, that they're doing well is that they've become part of American culture. Um, this whole like Netflix and chill or Netflix and stuff like it's just part of our culture. So if you're that dominant of a business where people need you, uh, you and I, we talked about this a little bit, but where if will they will a comp, will people miss you when you're gone and if you're at that level that you have such a strong emotional connection with people's daily daily lives dude you can charge anything right um, they're not going to leave but I, I think for most smaller companies that are starting off you're not going to have that effect but that's what every company should strive for we'll talk about as one of the other series about marketing and branding but to just go you know go ahead of myself a little bit but the goal really is is like what am i doing every single day 
that I'm part of someone's life on a day-to-day basis um, where they're going to miss me. So one thing we're doing in Azus, for instance, we're doing text message service. We started a Facebook group. We're in, we're in people's lives all the time. We're adding value to their lives. So once we go away, they'll be like, oh, man, I'm, I kind of miss that. I, I kind of miss all the podcasts. I miss the morning text messages I get and all that stuff. So we are able to raise the price a little bit more because they'll miss us when we're gone. But this is not a play for like smaller companies. They're not at like Netflix's cultural uh, level uh, where they've penetrated mass culture to such an extent. But to play, uh, to, to also give them credit, they have added a lot more content and they have gotten better. So that's one of the things I said, like you can raise price if you've just become better and then you can say, look, well, we've added a price, but look at all the other shit where we have. So it's a great point. And cause I, I kind of, uh, the connotation I had when I said that they had their hooks in me, that kind of has a kind of a negative connotation when I think <laughs> about it now, but I love your perspective, pretty, because you, you paint the picture as culturally Netflix is a big part of our lives and yep. they, they, they add a ton of value to people's lives. You know, I, I don't condone or endorse binge watching of Netflix series or anything like that. But to be honest, they, they really add a lot of, a lot of value just to people in general. And their library is so expansive now. It, it has grown so much. And so it, it's obvious why they can charge. It's not just that they have their hooks in me, but it's that, they deserve that $16 a month or whatever it is they get now because they've worked hard to get to, to where they're at. And so that's, a, that's an important point. Well, the other thing is, too, is like as massive as they are, it, they didn't go from $8 to $30 a month all of a sudden. They are slowly progressing that. And you think about yep. if you th- break that down into how many people they actually have that are subscribed to Netflix, if they just increase it by $1 a month, all those people, how much money they're still raking in from that. And they're slowly doing it. It's not just a, a massive jump, you know? Sure. Yeah. And you'll, you'll notice, too, like those companies need to do it because I'm sure that from like the late, you know, to, to early 2000s and when, when, when kind of Netflix really got their start to now, they have added more employees, they're in new more countries, their costs are more, their server costs are more. So they do need to raise their prices. That's natural. I think the best, they, they can justify it by saying, hey, we got all this extra shit. So if you, if you can be so culturally prominent where you can take political stances on stuff like they do, which I'm not a favor of, but they're so big that they do that now, mm-hmm. then obviously that's a whole different ballgame. But I think for most, most, people that are starting off you're not going to be that in the beginning so um you you can definitely uh, raise your price just uh just make it better and make the quality better and that's going to be a, a cash lane too because if you're in the beginning you started off you burned all your money like oh shit i need to charge more but now you don't have any money now to have a better product you're gonna to have to sell the same product at a, at a bigger price and 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 that's it's just such a tough sell so hopefully people listening to this are like okay you know what i'm not going to be afraid of of charging more and here's the thing too man a lot of customers sometimes complain. I get it. Like, you know, they're not happy. Uh, we get messages all the time. Well, I, I know I got them. We got a message. I, I sometimes read through our chat. We get them on our, and they're like, dude, I, this is what you guys made your nootropic. I could have made a better one uh, for cheaper and stuff. And, and I get it, dude. That's totally fine. And I always tell them, dude, once you come out with yours, I'll buy it. I'll, I'll personally <laughs> make a purchase. Like, right. I, I want to buy it. But the thing is, at the end of the day, when you're an entrepreneur, dude, you got to provide for your family too. Like you got to make your income. Like this is what I do. Like I, it's, it's not unfair for me to be like, dude, I need to, I need to look out for myself. I got to pay my dental. I got to pay my medical. I have all my employees that need to get paid. So like, I can't, it's not fair for me to be like, Oh, I'm just going to price it at some shit price. Like, what am I, I'm not contributing anything to the American economy. I'm not contributing anything to my employees as well. So a lot of times I always defer to customers. Obviously they're, they're what give, they give the, the, the breathe air into the business. But customers, they're also just thinking about themselves. <laughs> they're not thinking about, oh, 
you know, is a Colt or James, when you guys of your business are pretty like, Oh, is, is, is pretty cool. Like, can he pay, uh, you know, his, his, his insurance, like, can he pay his bill? They don't care about you. So right. you have to also take care of about yourself that you can pay your, you can live too. I mean, you're, you got to pay your own wages too. So I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't think a negative approach when companies sometimes raise their price because they gotta, they gotta live too. So, you know, it's, it's, you gotta take care of yourself. And I think a lot of people, they get so sucked into being customer centric. I'm all about that dude, 90% all customer centric, but this has changed for me once I've started getting my own employees. I have moved a little bit more also business-centric. Um, and that has helped me because now I'm like, okay, this is what the customers want. But I'm like, okay, well, I got to serve customers and my employees. I got to do what's right for both. So I can't always reduce the price. People say, like, oh, why don't you have a Memorial Day sale? Well, I don't have that sale. I was like, I can't. I, I can't. It's not right for my employees. So it, you know what I'm saying? So don't be afraid if you're a first-time business owner to charge a lot. And you're going to get – you're going to get – you're going to get um, pushback, but are those people are going to be there when you're going to pay your medical bills and you can't afford to? Are they going to be there when you can't pay your mortgage? Are they going to be there when your business liquidates? No, they're not going to be there for you. So, so don't like, don't let it dishearten you. You know, I always remind myself and I tell, you know, the, uh, some of my guys that are working, they're like, oh, they get so disheartened when we get bad customer service. Um, like people who are pissed off at that our price is so much or we don't have that, you know, it's like, don't worry about it, man. Like we got to also take care of ourselves and there's nothing wrong with that. Wow. You know? And it's, it's interesting to me thinking about it, how you frame it as the lifeblood. You can't live without your blood, right? It's your lifeblood. It, it's, that's how important profit is for your business, right? Not just so you can make some money and you know maybe buy a better car, a bigger house or whatever, but so that you can invest back into that business and invest into yourself so that you can make this thing grow and be bigger and bigger. And without that lifeblood, your business is going to die, yeah, uh, it's 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 so true, and I, I hope more people take that kind of approach because I think again, like I started right now, it's seen as like I think profits and like capitalism in general in America has become a little bit of a bad word because mm-hmm. of all the politics and stuff. And I, you know, I don't want to get into that really, but I think that what's happened, one of the byproducts of that is a lot of younger guys and younger women who are starting businesses, they don't want to talk about the profit part. They're not interested. But at the end of the day, like it's unfair for everyone. It's unfair for the people that you're hiring. It's unfair for your insurance. It's unfair for anyone that's invested in you where you're just like, it's also reckless um, when you just don't give a shit about profits. I'm like, dude, come on, man. Like you can't do that. It's unfair. You know, I had people ask me like to, to, to help them to, to put money in their business and then I asked them about like their cash flows and their um, their QuickBooks, just general stuff. And they like they get upset. They're like, well, what? No, like I'm changing the world. I was like, dude, but you're gonna ask me for my money and you don't want to. You have no business. Like it's it's a hobby. And pe- people really take to heart with that. And I don't I don't know why. Maybe it's a cultural thing. Uh, being in the East Coast, but people have really a problem with 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 profits now. It's like a huge um, like a swear word almost. But hopefully that that changes because it, dude, it, it, this is business. It's yeah. This is not this is not a project. It's not a hobby. It's this is business. Like it's 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 there's people that are competing. People's lives are on the line. Um, every single day, man, I wake up and I'm looking at my like, guy. I got to make payroll. I got to make payroll. And so I can't fuck around. You know what I'm saying? So sure. Well, I'm glad we're exposing this dirty little secret called profits, <laughs> man, because I, I think it's important. And I've learned a lot today just talking with you about this and how important that pricing and projecting uh, future pricing, how big of an impact that's going to have on your profits, right? Especially when you're starting out, it, it sounds like, because you have to have that, you have to gain that momentum somehow. And so you have to be very calculated and very intentional about how you're going to project your pricing in relationship to pro, uh, to profits. So, Prady, if you could kind of sew things up for us, including, let me add, add this question. Is there anything other than 
pricing that's so important to profits when we're first starting out, first starting a business? What other considerations, if any, do we need as far as profits are concerned to make sure that we're heading in the right direction? Yeah, I, I, w- I will just say it in two words. It's laser focus. That's everything. Yeah. The smaller your business, the, the less amount of resources you have, the more focused you have to be. You cannot do the things that other businesses are doing. You can't throw around crazy money and do stupid shit. You have to be laser focused because you have a child in your arms that's going to die if you mm. don't take care of it. Wow. And it will die because nine out of 10, or I think it's like over 95% of businesses in America will die in the first year of existence because they, they're reckless and they don't take care of their child. So take care of it. Know that you have to do the most that you can do with limited resources and try to stretch it as far as possible. So laser focus is literally like the whole theme of this whole episode that we just did. That's number one. And the second thing is know what you want. You're more likely to reach your goals in life when you know what you want and you're surgical with your approach. That includes any goal you have in your life. And that also includes your business goals. If your business goal is to be a $100 million company, you need to start thinking about that today, now the day you start your first, your, your, you have your first product, because that will allow you to say, what do, should I price my product at to get to a million or a hundred million dollar product that starts today? People can't think that far. Like, oh, I don't know. I'll just price it at as whatever is in the market. You're, you're not going to survive. You're going to get killed and you're going to get obliterated. Um, and, and, and something to people, um, you know, really think about, it doesn't work like that, man. You're not going to come into the marketplace where uh, you're going to start a business and all your competitors, everyone's gonna be like, hey, what's going on, man? Like, hey, welcome to the club. Those are competitors that you have. They're like I've said before, their pensions, their insurance, their college funds, everything depends on their on their work. Mm. When you're coming in, you're taking their profits away. And I can guarantee you, they're gonna try everything fucking possible to get you out of your business. Even at our scale, small scale, like we're right in the, a little above the seven figures. We have our products right now. We're not on Amazon anymore because people delisted us. We get fake reviews. I get spams, shit, like all the time from all competitors. Wow. It happens because they are afraid if I come into that space, I'm taking someone's salary away and right. someone's college education. So don't be very laissez-faire. You're going to get screwed because bigger guys are going to try to fuck with you. And that's, this is, this is war. I mean, this is business. So mm. it's a profession. So be surgical, but those are all the major messages. Hopefully uh, we got from this, uh, from, from, from this and, and people should always feel free to reach out to you guys or reach out to me after listening to this episode. If they want to hear more, man, I'm more happy to, to DM and talk to people about this. Excellent. So once again, we appreciate you coming onto the show and adding value. Uh, it sounds like, if you're going to get in the water, be ready to swim with some sharks, right? But because uh, this is this is business, this is war, uh, and you're going to have to consider that uh, that dirty secret profits. But uh, if, if you really believe in something, I think it's going to be worthwhile. And so you just want to go all in. And uh, but you want to be calculated. You want to be surgical, as you put it. And that's right. very important. So, Freddie, could you can you give us any insight into what's coming up next in this series uh, where we're talking about starting a business entrepreneurship? Yeah, one of the next focuses we're going to really have is um, is going to be how to build a killer team. Um, I'm a very big uh, proponent of that. Like, how do you build a killer team um, and how do you execute uh, from a killer team? And we're going to start building off from that. Um, and that's going to be in conjunction with how to market your product and how to brand your product. But we're next, one of the next things that we're going to talk about is how to find the right people to start and to get you to get your business off, uh, off up and running. And we'll take all this whole series up until, you know, being, being a profitable business, you know, and, and hopefully people listen to episode one and then two and then three and then four. Like, man, this episode, I want these series to be legendary series in, on CEP. Like people will listen to CEP. Like, man, this, this series was fucking mind blown. Like I know a lot now about business. That's, that's my goal. So well, the next thing we'll talk about is the team. 
Awesome. That, man. I think we picked the right guy for that. What do you think? I I, I believe so, Brady. You're you're <laughs> definitely a powerhouse, man. And I I love. I'm excited for the next series, man, and or the next episode in the series, uh, because it's just I, I'm it's new information for me. It's it's blowing my mind. It's expanding my perspective on on all this. And once again, we really appreciate you, and we're gonna see you again soon, man. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks both of you guys. I just want to say how much I appreciate you guys giving me the platform to do this. I, it means a lot. And uh, yeah, it means a lot to be able to talk to your audience about this. So thanks so much, man. I can't wait to be on again. Absolutely. Thanks again to Prady Tuari and thank you, CEP listener. Remember that word of mouth is like gold to us. So be sure to tell your friends and fam about our most humble yet completely fantastic show. Also remember to subscribe to the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download all those shows that you love. And you can also download the show at the launching pad for all things Cerebral at thecepodcast.com. If you need to contact us, you can do so at Cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And you know we love the way you love us on the socials when in fact you do love us on the socials. So until we meet again, please remember to keep your brains warm out there. See ya.